Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Constance Derricks of CD Consulting Group. She helps senior executives in high-stakes transitions and crisis. Her, her clients succeed in mergers and acquisitions 400% more often than the average. And she's consulted with executives in more than 20 countries on five continents over a 25-year period. Prior to her consulting career, Constance was a stockbroker, where she observed the effect of illogical decisions on both her clients and colleagues. Her curiosity about how people make decisions led her to study psychology and business, earning a Ph.D., and becoming, in, in turn, the decision doctor. Her forthcoming book is High Stakes Leaderships, and it's due out in September 2017. Welcome, Constance. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be with you. So tell us a little bit. It's interesting, 400% more than average. Wow. So that says that a lot of mergers and acquisitions don't succeed. It actually does say that. You're, you're correct. In fact, most of them fail to deliver the expected value, which disappoints um, owners, shareholders, executives, and customers alike. So what are the biggest traps? Because everybody wants to merge and acquire someone, and it sounds great, it looks good on paper, but what goes wrong? Well, what goes wrong is something I think that marketers will appreciate. Uh, what goes wrong is when you're looking at a deal, oftentimes people are very analytical. They're very deliberate. They gather a lot of financial information, and they look for what I call the mythical synergies. So I have one of these and you have one of these, so together we only need one. We'll save all kinds of money. But from the perspective of people in marketing and customer service, what often happens is disastrous. And what happens is customers get caught up in the consequences of all this integration. So let's say, for example, that the deal makers decide that there's an efficiency around IT and technology. That, that sounds like a great idea, right? And it often is. But yep. what's going to happen to your customers while you're doing all this internally facing work? So... A few years ago, when Bell South and Singular came together, I happened to be a customer of Singular, and I can tell you it was a nightmare. And every time I went to the store and asked for help, they said, basically, we can't help it, it's the merger. Well, Ooh. you know, this is a marketer's worst nightmare, right? You yep. come up with a wonderful promotion, you make promises, and then your, the company that you're making the promises on behalf of doesn't deliver. And it's funny because whether it's the merger's fault or not, it becomes a very handy excuse to, to hang everything that goes wrong on. Right, exactly. It's, um, it's a merger. It's the culture. Yep. Um, oftentimes executives uh, essentially get off the hook. Um, you know, lo look at AOL, uh, Time Warner. Oh, the cultures were different. Well, you should have known that before you went in um, instead of having something play out so poorly in the press and disappointed customers and loss of tremendous, tremendous loss of value. Yeah, I remember that. It was, gee, this, this yeah. looks great. This looks fantastic. And if yeah. you think about it, AOL had, had gone on, I mean, they had, had several other mergers that were not 
quite so, so useful either. So, um, right, so it becomes they a pattern. Good at it. Yeah, they yeah, they just good weren't at good at it. <laughs> yeah, we we failed before. Let's try again and see if we can outdo it. Right. So you said right. something that um, very often there's analytical and deliberate analysis. There's financial analysis. What role does emotion play in these decisions? Because it seems to me that a lot of these, it's just people get caught up in the emotion of what a wonderful deal this would be. They do. Um, and, you know, for those listening to this podcast that are very analytical and rely on data and analysis, it's very hard to hear that and believe it. But the research on decision-making and the influence of emotion is undeniable. You know, read Daniel Kahneman's work, uh, his fabulous book, Thinking Fast and Slow. You don't have to read very far in that book, and it's quite a dense book, but very good, to really be convinced that emotion does play a role. So let me give you a specific example. Um, A client of mine who shall remain nameless uh, wanted to do a very big deal. Um, I think it was about $6 billion that ultimately they paid for this other company. And they had um, a big big brand consulting firm working on the strategy with them. It did make a lot of sense. They did a lot of analysis, a lot of financial analysis, and it did make sense. But when it started to not make so much sense, the the executive team that was considering this dismissed their concerns. It was that nagging feeling of, mm, something, eh, don't know. But what happens is you've made commitments to your owners. You've made commitments to each other. You've invested a lot. So there's this concept called sunk costs or loss aversion. And people are more averse to losing than they are to risk, actually. And so what happens is people essentially stay in the race because, well, we started this damn thing, you know, so now we got to do the deal. And it it sounds crazy, uh, and it isn't crazy. It's human. And the people that do these things are very smart, very experienced, and often very successful. So I think it's something we all need to pay attention to and realize we don't do these things because we're not smart and experienced. We do them because we're human beings. You know, it's interesting because as you're saying that, I'm thinking this sounds like a lot of marriages, right, which probably should have broken up in the dating phase, but go on to do long marriages and terrible divorces. You're right. And, in fact, I have an article on my website that is entitled – it's so funny to me that you said that because the title of my article is Invisible Riptides, Sink Mergers and Marriages. Yeah. I make the exact analogy that you just did, and um, it's kind of a funny read, but it's also true. So so what happened? How do you get out of this? If you do have this investment and you don't want to lose face because you said you're going to buy this, and sometimes I think, you know, there was a, a recent merger of two big healthcare companies that fell apart because it didn't pass regulatory approval, and I almost sense that the two players went, oh, phew, wow, you know, really glad we got out of that. But how do you get out of that if you can't get trust the government to say, no, 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 you can't do it? If you started down the wrong path, what do you do? Right, or if you, or if the government does say you can't do it, because now you've got a real marketing and public relations issue in front. Exactly. Of you, right. So you've got to say, you know, it, you basically have to have courage. And the, the book that I have coming out in September, I talk about high stakes leaders need three things: courage, judgment, and fortitude. Courage is what Mary Barra did when she testified in front of Congress, and she said. 
We were wrong. We had things wrong in our company, and we made mistakes. And it's not the individual's fault. It's our culture, and we're going to change it. That's mm. courage. You know, just to say, we, you know, we didn't think about this or we didn't think about that. Um, and, uh, and honestly, people respect that. If you ever read Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders from Berkshire Hathaway, in his letters, he almost always talks about the mistakes they made before he talks about the good decisions they make. Yep. Well, you know, that's he's a role model for that. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me, you said courage, judgment, and fortitude. Judgment is, I, I think we're, you know, we're familiar with it. It's kind of saying yes, do this, do that. You know, using your your intelligence and expertise. But what do you mean by fortitude? Fortitude is what makes courage and judgment have value. Ah. So let's say courage is I'm willing to do the thing that's hard. Right. Kind of the common definition of courage. And obviously when I was writing my book, I read a lot of what other people had written about it. It's sort of, you know, I'm scared, but I'm doing it anyway. Judgment is what keeps courage from being stupidity. And fortitude is what makes the courage and the judgment when it comes together to a good decision, it makes people sustain their efforts to get a result. It makes them not give up, you know, the day before they're about to be successful. So it's that sticking to it, and it feeds back into courage. If you have fortitude, it actually um, helps you have more courage as well. Interesting, interesting. So who who would you give an example of someone who's got good fortitude, someone that we might be familiar with? Uh, let's see. Well, I already told you about Warren Buffett, so I probably right. didn't go to that well again, right? Um, let me think. Um, well, uh, I would say an example from professional sports would be uh, two people that work together to make a spectacular thing happen, and that's Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey. Yep. So everybody knows who Jackie Robinson is. Right. And I think most of us who've read about him know what the courage and the fortitude that he had to have to do what he did to break into professional baseball as an African-American. Um, but he and Branch Rickey worked as a team. Right. And they helped in and this is this is part of the point I want to make in my book is that you when you surround yourself with people that are devoted to making good decisions and have the courage to say, "Ooh, I made a bad decision." Um and you can help one another sustain your effort because if you think about it, wouldn't it have been easier for Jackie Robinson not to do what he did? Sure. And it wouldn't have even happened had Branch Rickey not had the guts to say, "We're going to take this on." Because and he had stick to stick with it when league. all those nasty things happen. Right, and he had to take on the league. He had right. to convince a lot of people that thought things were just fine to do this. And so he had to have fortitude, and Jackie Robinson had to have fortitude. And the two of them together were able to say, okay, let's not give up, let's keep going. And that's the kind of thing that really helps organizations move forward. That's great. You know, what a wonderful example. So I want to go back to some of this mergers and acquisitions. And you said, uh, you know, that there's decision traps that kind of places you get stuck 
like these invisible decision traps where you mm-hmm. fall into mm-hmm. because everybody, we said they're smart, they're engaged, they want to do yeah. the right thing. What are these decision traps that people kind of fall into without even knowing they're there? Well, there's so many that I really think of it more like a minefield, um, <laughs> you know, than that they're not, and and they're invisible, so we don't know they're there. They're right. unconscious. One of the most common is overconfidence. Yep. So, um, and it's interesting because the work we do to examine a course of action, when when the facts line up, what does that do? That makes us more confident. It's not a bad thing, but what happens is we get in an overconfidence pattern, almost get in a rut. And when people are together and they develop a common way of thinking, which is often described as groupthink, what's interesting is people think that the most important thing about groupthink is that we're all thinking the same. That's true. But the most dangerous part of groupthink is that when we're all thinking the same, we are more confident. Ah. And we are less likely to say, uh-oh. So let me give you an example, the Challenger explosion. Yep. When the Challenger um, was ready to launch, and I'm a beach kid. I grew up less than 10 miles from the Cape. And so, yep. you know, launches and all this does very familiar to me, and, and it was tons of fun to grow up there. But one of the things we learned as kids um, is that there's a thing called go fever. And go fever is... You know, we had this sucker on the pad, and, you know, the astronauts have been up in the capsule, and then we had to cancel it. And and the more you do that, and the Challenger, you may remember, there were delays and delays and delays. Right. And it, people get antsy. Yep. And so they want to launch. And they launched the Challenger on a day that was colder than any day in anybody's memory. I mean, oh, interesting. Where I grew up, it doesn't freeze. Right. It doesn't, but it did that day. And it was a disaster. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible human mistake. Right. Um, and I talk in my book about Richard Feynman's comments on the Challenger Commission, and you know, he basically said it was it was a mistake in judgment. I'm summarizing here, but right, uh, sure. It's, it's a re- really tragic. When we're talking about mergers and acquisitions, generally people don't die, but they could. You mentioned a hospital merger. Right. You know, if you're a marketer and you're representing uh, a company or a merged company, what do you want to tout? Safety. Yep. Right? Who wants to go to an unsafe hospital? Right, right. <laughs> Nobody. No, absolutely. Great. So really good to know. So anything else besides overconfidence? What are some of the maybe one more of the other invisible traps that people might run into? Well, I think I mentioned it before, but it's a it's a really powerful one, and that is loss aversion. Yes. That um, people will do all kinds of crazy things um, to avoid loss. And when I say the word loss, what I notice with my clients is they often mentally go to monetary loss. Ah. They think financial loss. But you have to think about um, things like, loss of, well, let's talk about it in marketing terms. What if you lose brand identity? What right. if your brand identity gets muddled? What does that cost a company? And, you know, you're an expert marketer and I'm not, so you and your colleagues are better at figuring out what that really costs, but we know it's real. What about yep. brand equity? What if your brand identity is shiny, but, you know, when people 
try the product or use the product, they go, uh, no, that's right. not what they said. Um, so loss aversion can be reputa- about reputation. It can be, um, you know, a very intangible thing for a for a C. Let's say a CEO needs to punch his M and A ticket. Well, he probably had to punch it to be a CEO. But <laughs> let's right. just say the board is on his case and he's got to do a deal. Um, that that loss aversion could be a very personal thing, and that drives behavior and decisions in a way that that I don't think many people appreciate. That's fantastic. That's interesting. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about noise because you and I have talked about this, and yeah. and I see noise as internal and external, and the external noise is all the noise in the marketplace. Everybody's trying to reach customers, and everybody's talking at once and using social media and reaching out to you on your cell phone and your connected devices, whatever. And But there's also internal noise, what I call static, which is where we sort of get in our own way. What do you see, what can leaders do about noise, and how does that get impacted in this whole merger and acquisition process? Well, that's a huge one because um, you don't have to announce a merger or an acquisition for people to be distracted. It's almost like it gets telegraphed invisibly through the atmosphere, you know, and employees start going, what's, you know, what's, I'll give you an example. I was walking to my office one day in midtown Atlanta, and uh, I saw four white stretch limos pull up. And simultaneously, the drivers get out, and they had earpieces in. Uh-huh. And they went around and let one person out of each car, and they were all men, and they all looked alike, and they all were dressed similarly. <laughs> it was in front of a building where the Earthlink lived, Earthlink ah. at the time. Yeah. And I went back to the office, and I walked in my boss's office, and I said, Earthlink's being acquired. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, they were. <laughs> They were, but um, you know they were they were in these conversations, and so I am not. There are a lot of employees at Earthlink as smart as me. Right. So they saw these guys show up. So what's going on out there? Yeah. What's going on? What's going on? So a leader has to understand that secrets are very rare in organizations, and they have to manage the message, and they have yep. to tell people. Um, what's going on. They have to tell them that there are things they can't tell them. Yep. Uh, they have to tell them um, a story of future. You know, what's the what's the growth? We're going to be needing people like this. We need people like that. You have to, from a very high level, help the person in the middle realize that the role they can play in achieving the future is very vital. And the leaders who do that do very well. And it takes it takes some um, somebody who can stand at a podium yep. with a microphone in their face, but talk to people as though they're talking to them one at a time. And that's a skill. But I think you have to be pretty specific too, and you have to enroll leaders and managers at all levels to say, let's say you were my boss. I yep. would want you to sit down with me and say, okay, Constance, you know what you're really good at. You're really good at these two things, and those are going to be critical for us. You know, I really want you here with me in the future. That is so powerful, and it's emotional, right? Right. Very emotional. Um, So that's that's something that people can do to manage the noise 
internally, as you say, which is which is critical because there's a lot of value lost. The second thing is you have to get rid of people that are creating unnecessary noise. Ah. So if you have, I uh, worked with a client a few years ago. They did a um, a merger, and uh, there was a group of people that we we in private we called them the insurgents. Right. And um, they they had to go. They got rid of. 60% of the people in the acquired company, 6-0. Yep. I mean, it was crazy, but it worked. Yep. And those people were unhappy. And it's like, okay, you're unhappy, great. Another place might be better for you. That's a tough. great example was, of fortitude, right? You've yeah, got to stay exactly. With it. Yeah, yep. It was tough, but the CEO was courageous. This is such fascinating stuff, and we could go on for hours, but um, just love this. I just want to ask, where could people find out more about you and your work? I know your book is coming out in September, but if they wanted to find out about you before then, where should they go? They can go um, online and look for my firm, which is CD. Those are my initials because apparently I have limited imagination. CD <laughs> Consulting. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell people. CD Consulting grp.com or they can google my name uh, which sounds simple right but you know yep. that my name is not easy my last name is spelled d-i-e-r-i-c-k-x and All right. if you google that name you only there you are two people with that name and i'm the only one living so you know <laughs> that's, that's where you should that's where you should go all right, fantastic. We've been here with Constance Derricks of CD Consulting and the author of the upcoming book on high-stakes leadership, which will be due out in September of 2017. So thank you, Constance. It's been wonderful and exciting stuff coming up. Thank you, Linda. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.